Berkeley Yeast, creators of the bioengineered yeast Tropics, which makes beer with insanely potent passion fruit and guava notes. I actually brewed with Tropics after we talked about it on episode 188, and the next day the brewery smelled like a guava orchard. Now, Berkeley Yeast just released Thiol Boost, which is a liquid thiol precursor that will take it to another level. Mention this podcast to get 15% off your next order. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Grist Analytics captures and trends data across the brewery so you can see issues as they are happening, not several batches later. Get real-time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and see scheduling predictions from anywhere. Connect Grist with your ERP platform to cover your brewery from production to finance. Went to empty the tanks, and an hour later, the ice came down and wiped out all the uh, sensors in the tank. Another big sign of temperature stratification is as you empty the tank, do you see your temperature devices all dropping suddenly, like a degree or even two degrees? This week on the show, mechanisms and strategies to manage temperature stratification in brewery tanks. Hi, this is Travis Audette with Slant 6 Consulting. Okay, Travis, you're here today to talk about stratification in brewery tanks. Is this a big brewery problem or does stratification also occur in small tanks? It definitely can occur in all size tanks um, for various reasons. Uh, larger tanks can be more prone to this, um, but it, it can happen uh, in small tanks also. Yes. All right. Maybe bigger tanks, bigger problems, something like that? <laughs> can be. It all depends on the conditions that are, are going on. Talk about the areas of interest here. Where are brewers most likely to experience tank stratification? So tank stratification um, tends to happen in tanks with low turbulence. So in my experience, some of the worst offenders are bright tanks. Assuming we don't have a carb stone in there. If we have a carb stone in the bright tank, then obviously the carbonation bubbles will help disrupt the stratification. But if we don't have a carb stone in there or we're done the carb stone process, the tank can stratify quicker than a fermenter. And that's just because fermenters, um, until they're totally crash cooled, 
will have a little bit of CO2 evolution. That CO2 evolution helps disrupt the stratification. It's almost impossible to stratify a tank during active fermentation. It's occurring you know, generally as we're cooling the tank and approaching 0C, 32 Fahrenheit, um, or obviously holding a bright tank at cold temperatures. Cool. And I'll add to that, I guess one area that it is possible to get it in fermentation is at the at the beginning. I've heard some stories of scenarios in which you have um, more dense wort on the uh, on the bottom of the tank. Uh, if you've got like a multi-fill fermenter and maybe there's actual fermentation going on up at the top, uh, but with no yeast in the bottom and, and cold, dense wort, then um, you could have some stratification in that type of scenario until you get enough mixing to get it going, right? Yeah, and that's that's actually like a totally different form of stratification. That kind of stratification is is having um, warmer active fermenting beer above the cooler non-active fermenting beer. Yeah. But what we're really talking about for stratification today is is cold tank stratification. We talked about the magic number of roughly. 37 or 38 Fahrenheit regarding fermenter cooling on episode 286. But that relationship between temperature and density is critical to today's topic. So let's hear about that in more detail. Sure. So water is a pretty amazing molecule. It behaves differently than almost any molecule in the world. Um, Initially, it doesn't. Initially, when water starts becoming colder, it becomes more dense. And that's what we would think you know, hopefully intuitively, um, we kind of maybe understand that. And all molecules do that, including water. But uh, water does this really strange thing at 4C or about 39 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's, it reaches its maximum density. And then it becomes less dense all the way to freezing. In fact, by the time it actually freezes, it becomes 9% more volume because the density is going down. Um, But all the way from 4C down to 0C, the water is becoming less dense, not more dense. And it's, you know, arguably miraculous, because if water did not do this, then life on Earth wouldn't be the way it is today, because lakes and oceans would freeze from the bottom up. So, you know, it's great for life on Earth. It's not so good for brewers on Earth. Um, when they're trying to get their beer down to zero C or even a little bit lower since we have alcohol in the beer. And then that's because things start stratifying as they become less dense. Okay. And that's the famous inversion we hear about when you're trying to crash cool a tank, right? That's why we, we talk about this, this, this wall that you hit somewhere around 37, 38 when you're trying to cool beer. All of a sudden, like you've got rapid cooling and then you don't, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, as, just if you imagine putting your hand in front of a window on a cold day, you're going to feel that cold air falling down the window and across your hand. Um, but liquid does something very different than the air in front of your window. And that's as it approaches 4C, um, it stands still. It, it won't be moving up or, or sorry, it'll be moving down. And then it starts moving up as we go below 4C for water. And then it's <laughs> imagine putting your hand in front of a window at the top of the window and feel the cold air rising. Um, that kind of makes my mind um, melt a little bit because um, that doesn't happen in your window, but it does happen in a beer tank. So the, the heat exchange, as we move through this temperature maximum density, um, starts 
uh, decreasing. Okay. And we all know that ice floats. I mean, that's kind of intuitive, right? So what exactly is the density of, of water at its freezing point? So yes, the dense, density of water at, as we go hit for C, that's the maximum density of essentially uh, one. But as we approach the freezing point, it actually becomes less dense. Yeah. It's just uh, shocking to me, like the, how fast it falls, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it makes a, a huge jump. Um, it, there's kind of a nice curve and then it just falls off a cliff. Yes, exactly. Yep. The one thing that's kind of interesting is that pressure does have an impact. So a very tall fermenter actually changes the temperature of maximum density. It, it goes lower just due to the pressure. Significantly so that, or just a little bit? Uh, about a degree. Okay. Yeah, for a, for a 60 foot. Uh, liquid column. So we're talking obviously a really big tank, right? but yeah, it would change it by a degree. Wow. Did not know that. Okay. So um, is it important to know the temperature of maximum density for the beer in my tanks? Not really. So there are a couple of things going on. So first we've been talking about water up until this point, but we got to remember that our beer has a certain amount of alcohol and, and other is all solids and that actually is going to depress the freezing point and very roughly for a 5.8 percent alcohol beer it's going to freeze at about negative 2c or 28 and a half fahrenheit um but the other reason that it doesn't really matter exactly where your freezing point is for your beer is we can't really measure it that well because we are measuring liquid generally with a some kind of RTD thermocouple device that's in a thermal well, hopefully. And hopefully that device is touching the tip of that well. And that means we're actually measuring the temperature at the tip of the thermal well, which could be, you know, depending on the size of the tank, six inches to three feet, four feet into a tank for really big tanks. And this temperature stratification is happening against the wall and it's incredibly thin. I don't actually have a an accurate estimate, but I wouldn't be surprised. We're talking about, you know, a centimeter, maybe two centimeters of distance where this temperature stratification is. And most of us aren't measuring that point in the tank. We're measuring the body of the tank. Uh, the other reason it doesn't really matter exactly what the freezing point is, is it doesn't really change how we manage it. Like we, <laughs> we're going to manage it if it's occurring and, and generally, um, it just doesn't really matter. So don't stress about knowing exactly where your freeze point is. If it's negative two or negative two point two or one negative one point eight C, it's it's not really going to change anything. Travis, describe how cooling takes place in brewery vessels, especially how beer moves in the tank during cooling. Yeah. So as we approach that temperature of maximum density, the the cold liquid would be falling down the wall of the tank. And then when we move past that to lower temperatures, then it it stalls and starts moving up. And that stall is going to reduce the amount of heat exchange because we don't have that flow against the wall. But again, as we start progressing colder, then the flow increases and liquid starts rising in the tank to the top. And if we're not careful with design and glycol temperatures, the amount of cold flow moving up can be quite dramatic and so dramatic that we collect a lot of cold beer at the top. Um, 
up to the point that we even could freeze the beer at the top of the tank. Okay. You already talked about temperature probes. Is there anything else you wanted to say about those? Just make sure that your temperature probes, you really want them to be touching the end of the thermal well. And you do that either with um, uh, thermocouple paste or uh, with a spring um, tip thermocouple so that you're making contact with the thermal well. Yeah. I like those spring-loaded ones. Those are good. Let's get into some of the things we can influence. What are the main factors that promote temperature stratification? So any lack of CO2 evolution, so whether that's fermentation or carbonation, if, if we have that situation where we don't have any CO2 evolution, then we could be more prone to stratification, assuming that we're operating in, in the range of uh, a pass of the range of temperature of maximum density. Um, high coolant flow or colder glycol or coolant um, will make this more of a problem. You can imagine, you know, let's say a brewery is running three negative three C glycol versus negative eight C glycol. The brewery with negative eight C glycol is going to be much more prone to temperature stratification because of the difference in the beer that's touching the glycol jacket versus the beer that's more in the body of the tank. Okay. Long storage time. So the longer we're in a tank, you know, the the greater the stratification can be. Um, so you might have everything perfect in your brewery, as perfect as can be. But if you hold beer there for two months, in fact, I've heard of a story of a brewery that was being commissioned and they weren't in production mode. They were just in startup mode and they had beer and tanks for two, three months. And we went to empty the tanks and... An hour later, the ice came down and wiped out all the uh, sensors in the tank because it had so much energy and it was extreme example of frozen stratification. Aggressive cooling rates, you know, generally I recommend not greater than 1C per hour or 1.8F per hour. Um, but you might even, you know, your brewery might need even slower um, cooling rates. So you just, you know, be aware of how fast you're cooling in your brewery if this is a problem for you. It's cheaper, cheaper to cool slower too. Any, anyway. Yes. Yeah. Just you know, the more you can spread out your cooling loads, then the less uh, peak demand on your cooling system. So absolutely. Yeah. All right. What else? Uh, jacket the surface area of your cooling jacket to volume ratio. This this is not so much of an issue for small brewers because generally your surface area cooling surface area to volume ratio is pretty good, um, but it, it could be an issue. So imagine you had a low cooling jacket surface area to volume ratio, then that would mean to get your cooling job done, you need to be more aggressive in your cooling. And that would either be flow rate or temperature of your coolant or both. Um, so definitely you want a, the right amount of cooling jacket. There are some guidelines out there for this in uh, the metric world, about 0 0.022 meters squared per hectoliter. Uh, or um, in imperial units, 0 0.25 feet squared per barrel are general guidelines for cooling jackets for uh, fermenters through unit tanks. That's not all, right? No. Well, here's the other one that's maybe surprising to some people or not, and that's the height to diameter ratio. So when, you know, a brewery has to buy a tank and they have to make a choice, like what is the height to diameter ratio? And, 
if we were, if it was only a dollars and cents decision, we would have really skinny, skinny tanks everywhere. And, and the reason is one, the footprint lands expensive, right? So you, if you put in a tall, skinny tank, you need less land. So now we've saved some money there. So that's good, right? And the other reason tall, skinny tanks are more affordable is the heads and the cones are smaller. And the heads and the cones are expensive things to make on a fermenter compared to the sidewall. So why not have a bunch of little, you know, a bunch of small footprint skinny tanks? And one of the reasons, there's lots of them, uh, particularly ester formation, but in regards to this topic is temperature stratification. So imagine a tank, it's moving past the temperature of maximum density. The cool beer touching the jacket wall is starting to rise. And as it starts to rise, it gains velocity. And the more rising it does, the more velocity, and the more velocity, the more turbulence, and the more turbulence, the more the ability to extract the cold out of the jacket up above. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think I, I think I know uh, some people that built those tall, skinny breweries you're talking about. <laughs> and, and did they have stratification? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So as a guideline, so okay, like that's fine. What's what's tall and skinny, and what's not? As a guideline, a two point seven height to diameter ratio or higher is considered a pretty skinny tank. Now, does that mean if you make a tank at 2.6, you won't have any problems? No, you could still have problems, um, especially if you had cold glycol um, and, uh, or aggressive uh, cooling flow rates. And vice versa, you, know, you can make a tank at 2.8 height to diameter ratios and not have issues. But the, the general idea is the, the more you go beyond that 2.7 uh, height to diameter ratio, the more uh, you could be prone to this problem. Coming up. Extra plates for that heat exchanger look expensive at face value until you estimate your savings for not running your glycol as cold. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Support for this episode comes from BSG. Looking for a sustainable way to increase fermenter capacity? Try FirmCap Eco from Cary. Developed as a part of Cary's Eco Brewing range, FirmCap Eco is a plant-based alternative to traditional silicon-based products. FirmCab Eco increases fermenter capacity by reducing foam height to improve beer foam stability and enhance hop utilization. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact your BSG sales rep to get started. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. 
with our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within seven days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry favorite strains shipped the next business day. As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit brewingscience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. There's another webinar December 12th for adjunct brewers called Rice for Beer, Brewing Principles and Techniques. The 2024 Barley Improvement Conference is January 10th and 11th in San Diego. Don't miss the January 10th webinar, Brewing in a Beer with SmartBev Near Yeast, a Craft Brewer's Perspective. District St. Louis meets January 18th and 19th at Anheuser-Busch. The Master Brewers Brewery Packaging Technology course begins February 22nd. District Great Plains has their annual meeting February 23rd and 24th at Mark One Electric Company in Kansas City. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 6th. It's time to save the date for the 2024 World Brewing Congress. That's August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. back to the show. I just want to mention that there are, there's a great um, paper from Jim Larson in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly, uh, and they did some really cool work. They essentially built a chandelier with, instead of lights hanging off the chandelier, there were... Um, thermocouples all hanging off the chandelier and they built this for a tall skinny tank and they built this for a short squat tank of similar uh, capacity or volume and then they sent the tanks down to crash cooling you know zero c maybe even a little below and then they lowered this chandelier through the beer and just 
recorded all the temperatures as they saw as it lowered the chandelier down. And I encourage everyone to find this paper, uh, Jim Larson, Cooling Characteristics of Union Tanks, MBA Technical Quarterly, uh, 1988. And you'll see some of the diagrams where they presented their data and, and how much more stratification they detected in the tall, skinny tanks compared to the squat tanks. Cool. We'll put a link to that one in the show notes for people who want to check it out. Now, a, another area that can make us more prone um, to stratification is if we're using discrete cooling valves. Those are discrete means on and off only. Um, and the problem with discrete cooling valves is when they're on, they're applying 100% of the flow rate. And that, again, remember, the, the more aggressive we cool, the more the beer moves beyond the temperature of maximum density and the, and the more we we enter that low density phase and the more stratification occurs. So, you know, what what is the alternative to discrete valves? Well, one would be analog valves, valves that can you know, swing from zero to 100%. We covered this way back on episode 61, but it's amazing how often I still see folks make this mistake. Talk about the difference between direct return and reverse return glycol piping systems. Yeah. So, you know, how you wonder how complex glycol systems could be, right? It's just cooling tanks. <laughs> Shouldn't be that hard, right? But there's actually a lot of um, nuance to this and it really applies to this problem also because a lot of people end up piping their glycol. So, you have let's say five tanks on a header and tank number one gets the first glycol and then you continue teeing down the road to number two and number three, number four, number five. And then the return, they just do a straight return. So number one tank is the first to receive glycol, the least amount of distance for that glycol to travel. And then tank one, if it's direct return, also has the least amount of distance to get back to the, the glycol reservoir. And why that is a problem is because gl- liquid glycol is lazy and it always wants to take the path of least resistance. So if you set up a tank farm or fermenters with direct return, the first tank that receives glycol and that same first tank is the first to deliver it back to the reservoir, the least distance it will get preferential flow. And, and significantly why, too. Significant, yeah, it's not yeah. just a little bit, it's a lot of it. And why does that matter for temperature stratification? Well, again, remember temperature stratification is a, it's a, in part in how aggressive we're cooling fermenters. And if you set up fermenters with just a very simple direct feed, direct return, that first tank will get higher glycol flow rates than the last tank if they're both open at the same time. All right. So what's the solution? Well, one solution is to build the glycol system with a first in, last out design. Okay. So direct return is first in, first out. A reverse return is also uh, can be called first in, last out. So essentially what you do is your return line has an extra run-up pipe. And what the extra run-up pipe does is makes every path to every fermenter in your, your cellar equidistant. Because again, liquid is lazy. And if we give it equally challenging paths for every vessel in your fermentation cellar, 
every vessel will get equal amounts of flow. All right. Then there's also what's known as balancing valves. Describe how those work and when we need them. So this is an alternate version to avoid having the the reverse return. So instead of doing reverse return, you can put in something called a pressure independent control valve, P-I-C-V. We use these a lot in hospitals and um, some factories. And it's when you have a really complex system where running equidistant return lines is just not practical, you can put these things in. And we could almost do a whole podcast on PIC valves and how they work. Um, so I'm going to just try to really boil it down uh, simply. But essentially, once they're set up, and there is you know significant setup, but they they be put on the glycol into your tanks, and they automatically balance for different pressures. So if the first tank has more pressure than the last tank, it will automatically throttle that down. Now, I use automatically in air quotes because these things do have to all be balanced on initial setup. And you do that with manometer points, ports that are on the valve in an instrument. That instrument measures pressure, and then you can look up on a lookup chart to actually calculate the flow that's going through the device. And then if the flow is greater than the neighbor, you would turn a, a knob on this device, this PIC valve, until all your readings are equal, and then you're done. And then once you've done that whole setup, if all your tanks come on for cooling or only two of them come on, which would be great you know a much different amount of inlet pressure to the to the PIC valve that's okay the PIC valve will adjust and will always deliver the same amount of flow to every fermenter okay so how do i know whether or not i'm experiencing stratification in my tanks yeah you know we talked earlier about how you know, RTDs aren't really that good at measuring temperature stratification because it's really occurring, you know, within a centimeter or two of the wall, not probably where the tip of the RTD or thermocouple is. So the probably the best sign, um, if you have temperature probes high up in your vessels and not a lot of brewers don't, unfortunately, um, but if you see the upper one getting cold while the lower ones are staying the same or even warming, that's stratification. And some breweries even have logic where they see the lower probe being warm, and so they only turn on the lower jacket. Um, and then mysteriously, you'll see that the top of the tank gets colder and colder and colder, even though the valve, uh, the cooling valve, or that cooling jacket up there is not on. Classic temperature stratification. Another uh, big sign of temperature stratification is as you empty the tank, do you see your temperature devices all dropping? suddenly, like a degree or even two degrees. Uh, That's a classic sign that the tank was uh, stratifying as it sat there. And then the most extreme situations is where you see ice or beer slushies come out of the tank uh, when you empty them. And sometimes this can even uh, block your beer pumps. All right. Uh, So what can brewers do to mitigate or avoid temperature stratification? So probably first is cooling rates. Again, that 1C per hour, 
Fahrenheit per hour max is a good rule of thumb, though what your brewery might need is, you know, will be whatever your setup is. So one thing that's interesting is we mentioned uh, discrete cooling valves, valves that only have on and off positions. We can actually make those behave like an analog valve by doing some, uh, a little bit of PLC programming. So what that would look like is you can put a discrete valve on a timer. And let's say that timer is a 180 second timer. And you can do a little programming that says, if my temperature is greater than 0.1 away from set point, turn on the valve for 30 seconds out of 180. And you could say then, if my temperature is greater than 0.2 degrees away from set point, have it come on for 60 seconds out of 180. And then you can keep going and do 0.4 delta and it's, uh, you know, 120 out of 180. And suddenly now you have these discrete cooling valves that, you know, weren't very flexible on paper actually behaving much more like an analog valve and you didn't have to buy an expensive analog valve to do that. Cool. Yeah. So that can actually help if you think that discrete cooling controls the problem in your, in your brewery. Another thing you can do is if you have dedicated cone cooling in your vessel, try cooling the vessel with only the cone as you reach these temperatures below uh, roughly 2C or um, 30, uh, 36, 38 Fahrenheit. And what can happen there is the cold liquid that's rising hopefully will rise through the body of the tank instead of the wall. And that hopefully will disrupt some of the, the uh, stratification. Now, this is not going to work well if you have yeast in the cone of your unit tank because that, that yeast is going to insulate that cold. It's not going to move into the body of the beer very well. All right. And then, you know, we all the things we talked about before, tall height to diameter ratios, you want to avoid those, low jacket surface area to volume ratios. And cold coolant, you know, that's easy for me to say, but, but you know, think about why your glycol is at the temperature it is in your brewery. I think the honest answer is there's going to be one user, one use case in your brewery that is your pain point. So let's let's just say it's a a cooler in front of a plate heat exchanger in front of your beer filter, and that's that's at its edge. And to fix that problem, you said, well, instead of running my glycol at negative five C, I'm going to run it at negative eight C. Right? That choice might have been enough to push your tanks into stratification problems. So one way to fight that is ask yourself, can I fit more plates in that heat exchanger? And if I can, now suddenly I can lower my glycol temperature back down to 5C or maybe even 4C and have less of that uh, cold periphery in the unit tanks doing the, the rising effect. Makes sense. And then once again, like, you know, the warmer you can run that glycol, the, the more efficient your chiller is going to be, right? So there's a lot of advantages to keeping that set point as high as you possibly can. I know those that the extra plates for that heat exchanger look expensive at 
face value until you estimate your savings for not running your glycols cold. Yep. Okay. And if a brewer is stuck with stratification due to poorly engineered equipment or installation, what else can they do? Uh, I hate to suggest anything else because I think anything else I can suggest is not a great compromise, but I'm going to throw them out there All right. <laughs> just because people might be desperate. So if you've, if you're out of options for everything else we've talked about uh, so far, you could consider gently bubbling CO2 into the vessel. And I mean, like very low amounts. And the other thing I really want to remind people too, if, if you're bunging your fermenters with like a spunding device, or even if they're quite tall, you know, you could run the risk of, of knocking CO2 out and creating like a geysering effect. So I just want people to be aware of all the risks before they start bubbling their tanks at these temperatures. Uh, you might consider a mixing device, but you know, mixing device could have quality issues and process risks. So that's pretty unusual, um, but it, it could be something. The, the other thing to think about is, you know, do, do you need to be as cold as you are, and then? If you do, maybe you you knock down the temperature to your next process step. So again, let's say you want it to filter your beer and you want to be really cold to get all the chill haze out. Well, the chill haze forms instantly. Like you could choose to age your unit tanks at maybe two Celsius and then pump it through a heat exchanger and knock it down to like negative two just in front of your filter rather than trying to do all that work in your in your unit tank. Anything else you want to say to close us out? Yeah, I would just say, you know, just have faith if you're having this problem. I've heard of extreme examples. I've had someone come up to me after uh, giving this presentation and told me that the freezing was so bad that they emptied the tank and an hour or so later, the solids ice came down and, and cracked the welds of the cone to the body of the tank. So, this is <laughs> can be a really extreme problem in some cases. Hopefully, most people aren't dealing with that. But it's, I think it's more common than uh, people uh, really know. And uh, there, there are a lot of practical things that you can do that, that hopefully uh, this discussion will help you uh, implement. That was Travis Audet here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Check the show notes for a link to the Master Brewer's technical quarterly paper Travis mentioned earlier. Are you enjoying the Master Brewer's podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.